Um, we did introductions last time. We can do another round of introductions again. Yeah, yeah. I think every week we should say our names because no one's ever going to remember who we are. I yeah, can't. Man, OJ's pretty easy name. to remember. So. <laughs> yeah, just together and murder his own wife, guys. <laughs> God. All right, let's uh fucking go. Okay. Are we ready? Oh wait, I have another question. What's up? Is this supposed to be clean? No, just curse okay. whatever um, the fuck. But do Keep... try not to say anything that you wouldn't want to. So don't worry too much about like keeping it clean. But if you but say no something, racism, that you... no like overt stuff racism, like that. Yes, I did I say saying. boner. Black people don't deserve jobs. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking I'm about that. Avoid saying boner this time. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna avoid? Saying boner. <laughs> right, you get it out now while you boner, 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 boner. Okay, there we go. Um, are we ready? Yeah, let's sure. go. Okay. Welcome to episode two of the Stack Smashing Podcast. This is your unofficial host, Hayden Jones. Uh, today we're being joined by our friend Benjamin, and that brings us to a healthy count of four people. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, Ben? All right. My name is Ben, and I'm the quirky fourth member of this group. Um, I'm into, like, graphics and games, and yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Okay, cool. Um, let's uh, maybe do a little short introductions for the people we saw last time. How about you, Alec? Uh, hi again, it's Alec. Uh, uh, Code Monkey, Pam. Cool, cool. Okay, OJ. Hi, I'm OJ. Uh, I do a lot of non-interesting programming. Like this week, I did a collapse sequence uh, visualizer in Terminal. Oh, that's fun. You know? Really you cool say though. fun, I say the most boring words I've ever heard. <laughs> the collapse conjecture is beautiful, Alec. It really is. Those are words I've heard at some point in a math class that I do not remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I'm Hayden. Um, this is the second time I'm introducing myself. Um, I like machine learning, so I guess, yeah, that's me. That's all I sum up to. <laughs> okay. Are you a machine? Um, not yet. <laughs> when, it's coming. Weak. Wait, when, uh, when the singularity occurs, will you choose to upload, Hayden? Oh, of course. Oh, okay. You, well, is no, there an alternative? Choice. Yeah, you die. <laughs> okay, well, the millennial um, inside of me is now torn. <laughs> Which is copy your, your, your mind to the cloud and just have, like, two consciousnesses? I would hate. Oh, I would not want to. Oh, no, I man. would. I do not want to know myself. I do not want a copy of myself because I'm hanging out with him. <laughs> I I do not see us getting along. <laughs> okay, I respect that. I don't imagine I'd get along with myself. Occasionally, I would. Other times, we'd just be fighting a lot. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. God, imagine two OJs. Oh no. <laughs> Let's not do that. I'll <laughs> be bad. Okay, so I guess we should probably get on to the podcast. Um, so OJ uh, came up with our introductory topic for today, so why don't you tell us about it? Okay. Um, generally speaking, if I mean, if you consume any sort of popular media like YouTube and whatnot, you generally come across a lot of sponsored content. And one of these sponsors, more often than not, are like VPN services. Um, to such a degree that it's beginning to get annoying, I, I think, but, you know, that's my personal opinion. Um, 
However, I wanted to uh, focus today on the essentially abuse of VPN services that the general public is um, going through right now. Um, and especially in times like these with the coronavirus where everyone's inside streaming a lot, you know, they'll get tired of the content on American Netflix. So, oh, let's check out what Canadian Netflix Netflix has and uh, roll with that. But yeah, so that's the general topic. I mean, there'll be some in-depth stuff and some more uh, superficial stuff. But yeah, what are y'all's idea or view on VPNs in modern society today? These services are like taking advantage of people and how scared people are of the internet because it's a pretty scary place. And I think before all this, we should talk about like, we're not just bashing VPNs right now. We're, we're bashing VPN services that are misrepresenting what VPNs do. We should probably make that clear first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> VPNs definitely have their use in professional um, applications. Uh, like when you want to connect to a network that isn't supposed to be open to the internet. It's a, a local network, per se. That's uh, uh, at, at my work. That's how we basically access everything because you know we don't want ssh ports open so we just will vpn in yeah and those are great uses of vpns don't get me wrong but other vpn services are definitely yeah at fault i think uh what about you alec oh ben go for it people people also use them to get around um like like streaming services like netflix will only have content available um, depending on what country you're in and from your IP address. And then, and like countries that have um, like access to certain websites uh, cut off for like political reasons or whatever, um, VPNs can help you get around that stuff. Yeah, I mean, they have uses like that. Right, yeah. VPNs are great for getting around uh, geolocked content and stuff like that. Um, maybe mm-hmm. first, we should make it clear like what our issues are with um, the current VPNs. So okay. uh, a lot of VPN services right now are advertising themselves as like a privacy tool, you know, one that uh, helps prevent people from tracking you because the IP address um, that is exposed is not your own. And they say that all your traffic is encrypted, you know, it's going to help. Um, people in your local area not be able to track you, help websites not to be able to track you. And a lot of that isn't actually true. And that that is what we're taking issue with. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first thing to right. point out. I mean, I think an important question I want to ask, uh, sort of from a viewer perspective, for someone who might not know, what is your intended use of a VPN? What is the ideal situation for it, exactly? Are you asking um, this to OJ? Uh, all of you. I mean, I think that's an important thing to talk about. Like, we're talking about right. misuses. What is the intended use? Okay, how about you start, okay. OJ? Okay. Uh, personally, I feel like the, the intended use uh, for a VPN is like what I said earlier, like accessing your remote network um, so that uh, or that that is designed to not be open to the public or to the public internet in general. 
so that you have access to the services within the local network while not being physically there. Um, that is right, hold on. The I'm going to take a second to say someone is breathing into their microphone. Was it me? Uh, I'm not sure. May have been, but it doesn't matter. Just <laughs> conscious of it, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, so like any professional use like that, I feel like is a is a intent is is or classifies as intended use of VPNs, um, and definitely falls outside of the area of like avoiding geo look like geo locking or yeah. stuff locking. Okay. But I don't know what else would classify as intended use. Maybe Ben or you, Hayden, have any ideas? I'll go. Um, so I think your use is probably what the people had in mind when, you know, VPNs were designed. You know, mm -hmm. getting access to a network that makes it look like your connection is, is local. Um, but... As with, you know, all technology being created, it's it finds like very different uses after it's after it's been, you know, implemented. And I think I think geolocking, like getting around geolocked content is a great idea. Like I don't I don't think I would consider using a VPN to be able to watch, you know, European sitcoms from America would be <laughs> is like an abuse. Of VPNs, but it's certainly not what they were originally, you know, created for. Mm -hmm. um, but well, those companies might consider that to be an abuse. Which, oh, wait, which companies? Like companies like um, like it's streaming services. Oh, of course, yeah, it's certainly an abuse, and it's probably against their terms of service. Oh, it but, is. It but is. I'm just considering like what would be like what is something that you could use a VPN for that isn't just you know like would be considered ridiculous. Um, and, you know, like another use case for VPNs that have, you know, cropped up since they've been created is getting a, like past um, states banning certain websites, um, like mm -hmm. YouTube being blocked multiple times in Turkey or mm -hmm. like, um, you know, the Chinese government, uh, you know, the Great Firewall of China blocking access to a ton of different websites using a VPN to get through that. I think that's a perfectly acceptable and normal use of a VPN, despite it not necessarily being what it was originally tended to be for. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I actually agree. I mean, I think the biggest use for a VPN uh, is, frankly, that unintended, that unintended effect of allowing us to, like, open up the internet. Because, like, this is going to get real Stallman, but, like, the internet is, you know this thing that's meant to be free and enjoyed by everyone. So if we can avoid locking it down by getting around these restrictions, whether they're based on like an ISP or a country, like I think it's a really important thing for uh, the freedom of the internet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's at least part of what these companies are trying to sell. Mm -hmm. but, but as we'll get into, um, that's not all that they are trying to sell. Yeah, definitely. That that's true. It's uh, it seems like uh, more often than not, these uh, service providers, I guess you could call them, sell it as yeah, like oh, no one can know exactly what you're doing at all time or at any time as long as you're connected. Yeah, which they is... almost make it seem like you can't be like they they almost advertise like hey, uh, man in the middle doesn't work in this. So, like you can't have your packets <laughs> sniffed because it's just they're coming from Canada, actually, you know. 
<laughs> who, who would have thought? Right. Those Canadian packets, you can't sniff them. Yeah, they they have too much syrup, they're so they're French stuck together. Now. You can't eat <laughs> French packages. I mean, in, <laughs> what they're saying is true to some extent. Oh like, no! It, what do you mean? Oh no! <laughs> your, your microphone. You just oh. robot that, dude. oh, I'm sorry. Am I back? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're back. Cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, about like preventing man in the middle attacks. What they're saying is true to some extent. I mean, it's preventing man-in-the-middle attacks, like, directly mm-hmm. near where you are. Because, like, if you're on an open network, um, you, your your packets are being sent unencrypted, you know, to, your, to the router you're connected to, and then to all the next hops. But if you use a VPN service, it will actually be encrypting your data before it leaves your phone or your computer on this open network. So if you're in an airport, you are not going to suffer a man-in-the-middle attack right where you are. Um, but once sure. it leaves the VPN service, it has to be de-encrypted. So it's it's now going to be just plain text again, assuming it was sent in plain text. So later on throughout the hops, there could be a man in the middle attack. Um, so it's not like fully protecting you, but to some extent it is. I mean, I still can't help but feel like they capitalize off of like this basically like when I say like they make it seem like you can't have like a man in the middle occur. I'm saying that in general, like even if these packets are encrypted as almost any packet going through will be like even before they get to the VPN and like, you know, they're always going to be encrypted realistically. Like hopefully everything you're using is sending encrypted packets. Like the reality is that like they're still there. And I think they mark it as, oh, no one can get this even if it's, you know, encrypted. And maybe I'm misrepresenting that. I don't know. No, I think you're right. They do. They, they do over promise and under deliver. Um, but but what about I don't know. Oh, go for it. no sorry go on OJ well what about the idea that essentially since all of these people are using the same service and let's say I mean not everyone's going to connect to the same geo located or the same location right right let's say this hypothetical VPN has this service center or server center in Canada and you're in the US and all of its users are in the US um, not all of its users are going to connect to the Canadian uh, server. However, some significant proportion might do so. And so all this traffic is going to this IP address. And then all of that traffic has to be routed out from that specific location. So technically, couldn't the people, the malicious people, listen to the output of um, that server or that server external IP essentially, and retrieve statistical data based on the user base of the VPN to make certain assumptions about its user base. Oh yeah. I mean, sure, but that's the case with any web server, isn't it? Like, right. like realistically, you can watch traffic in and out and see. Realistically, you can even dox people through that sometimes. Like, it's not an impossibility or even unheard of, you know? Well, and to be clear, like, yes, that is true of not just VPNs. It's true of, like, every hop in the internet. But it's not like I can just pull up, like, watchipaddresstraffic.com <laughs> and put in an IP what? address and start watching, you know, what's coming out of these hops. Like, yeah. you, you do have to have some, like, you have to be near the hop or you have to have, like, root on the hop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's totally should... fair. It should be said that like um, TLS encryption is solving this problem where people can look at the data that you're sending because 
that's where the actual uh, encryption is happening. And it seems like some of these um, VPN services are basically advertising what already exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely advertise that all of your data is being encrypted. And it's, it, it is in some stages. It's like TLS is solving this issue of encrypting your data and preventing man-in-the-middle attacks to a much better extent than what VPNs are doing. Because the VPN will encrypt your data and it'll go to the VPN and then it'll be de-encrypted and sent you know, through a bunch of hops to the server. But with TLS, it's encrypted from end to end. It's encrypted once it leaves, before it leaves your phone and then de-encrypted once it hits the destination server. So maybe for someone uh, who isn't as familiar with um, web protocols and whatnot, explain in just a simple term, like what TLS is and what it does. Okay. Um, does anyone else want to do it? If not, I, I can go for it. Uh, I can read the straight up like uh, description. Yeah, go for it. uh, it's transport layer security. Um, uh, cryptographic protocols designed to provide communication security over a computer network. It's basically just standardized uh, ways of encrypting traffic going through. But it happens in the transportation layer. Uh, I assume so. I don't remember my OSI Likely, models. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, uh, I'm not, I can't remember because it's been a while since I've looked at it, but it looks like it uses um, like public key encryption, right? So okay. a server like google.com will expose its public key and you use the public key to encrypt your traffic. You, you receive it when you connect to the website. And okay. before the data leaves your phone, you encrypt it with Google's public key. You send it over the network, encrypted, hits Google server, and then Google decrypts it with its private key. So mm -hmm. anyone can encrypt with the public key, but only uh, the data can only be decrypted with um, the, the, private key, yeah. the private key. This is giving okay. me blockchain flashbacks. All <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's important. Topics. No, I, I don't know why cryptography has always been a subject. Just as, For some reason, it just bores the hell out of me, and I don't know why. There's a lot of math. Yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> Alec don't like math. If it has more than three numbers, I don't do it. Oh, man. Hooey. <laughs> <laughs> An IFP address has more than three numbers. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Checkmate. Checkmate. <laughs> wow, uh, does not compute. Oh. <laughs> So um, uh, I think we should also talk about tracking because that's another thing that these mm -hmm. services also claim to provide, like protection yeah. from trackers. Mm -hmm. So um, they say that your IP address is, is being used to track you, but <laughs> there are lots of other things that can be used to track you. and um, Actually, the uh, least of which is your IP, right? The, I mean, that changes all the time. Yeah. Right. The least of which is your IP because it, yeah, it, they are tracking you and not your device, right? So they want in all of your devices have different IP addresses and they can change. So there's a lot of other information that is used to track you. So like um, a good example is cookies, right? Your browser stores all this crap and um, the websites that you go to use this information to track your session, right? And thereby to track you. And there are lots of other examples. You guys want to those? Well, I mean, I, cookies is definitely like probably that and like uh, stored passwords. Actually, I remember in um, web programming, we were talking about this section of, of 
cookies and how at some point, if I remember correctly, I mean, maybe wrong, you know, that, that happens. Um, where Chrome, I, if I remember correctly, uh, used to store passwords, for instance, in plain text on your computer with, with its cookies, right? Like, it seems like a huge security breach, but just the, the, the fact that all these things are stored on your computer that these websites just access because it, they want to provide a better service, that definitely is something a VPN just... The website still has to have access to that, right? Right. It sort of makes no sense that this <laughs> this obscure firewall proxy, whatever, would just save you from all the inherent issues with browsing the internet uh, that have occurred by cookies. Right. Yeah. And another example is um, browser fingerprinting. So there's a lot of information that you're browser just provides to whatever server you're connecting to like the type of browser it's like oh is this firefox or not and also your operating system and then um and i can't remember we were talking about this hated but also some information about your yeah right so like what versions of OpenGL you support if you support webgl if you support hardware hardware acceleration or not the size of your monitor a bunch of other stuff and that usually gives you I enough thought... information what's that maybe Alec? i'm well, I thought at first you were you guys were talking about user agents, which yes. I don't think you. Oh, are you? So uh, I mean, I'm not, not fully. This but... isn't. Yes. Um, so actually, interestingly enough, just as a side note here, um, I read recently Chrome is phasing out user agents in an attempt uh, for more non anonymity. I guess I'm not sure though. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, really user agents aren't like necessarily super helpful. I mean, but mm -hmm. the more information you get, the more unique of a fingerprint you're gonna have. But like, you know, thousands of people are using Chrome 74. So a user yeah. agent isn't necessarily going to be that useful. But when you're able to combine it with like hardware acceleration support and monitor size, mm -hmm. like if you're blocking ads or not, if you're blocking track trackers, if you support cookies, all this other stuff, you, you do become unique. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, go on. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Maybe, maybe like phasing out user agents um, will help with that. Um, but still, there's there's plenty of other information about your browser and your computer that websites can access to be able to fingerprint yeah. you. I mean, I think to me, the biggest thing that user agents do, and this is in my experience because I do a lot of data aggregation through web crawling, like um, you use a user agent to tell the site uh, what you're crawling with. And a lot of times that's how like you guys, are you guys familiar with robots.txt? Yes. Yeah. So, oh, oh, robots.txt is any website. If you go to uh, the URL slash robots.txt, it's literally like the rules for crawling, essentially. And like, for instance, oh, like okay. GitHub, if, if I remember correctly, GitHub only has one repo you can't crawl, which is like archaeological data. But you can view that just doing slash robots.txt. But um, anyways, um, that is based on user agent. You can see like if you go to one of those, it tells you what that user agent could do. So it, that's how it can kind of block a lot of web crawling and like go, oh, well, you're on this user agent. I'm going to tell it not to do this. There's some interesting stuff in terms of that with um, uh, basically there's like some court cases recently in the U.S. that said like any data that's publicly available can be crawled. So I don't know. It gets really interesting. I'm about to go to a rabbit hole, so I'm going to stop. But yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a voluntary thing, right? Like on the end of the robot, 
Yes. The robot has to say, oh, this robot.txt says that I shouldn't be accessing it. But mm-hmm. it's the robot's choice whether or not to do that. Right. So it's not exactly like a, uh, a secure method to those ends. But oh, what definitely. you are doing is you're opening yourself up to getting like IP banned from the website. Yes, yes. which I do very, very, very frequently. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Oh, man. Um, another thing to probably talk about is like a lot of these VPN providers... Like, say, talk about logging and not modifying your data. Right? Right. Right. And logging, like, there's a lot of arguments for as to why they would log your data. Right, and they definitely have to. Yeah, yeah but... Assuming like, it's a paid still, service. Yeah, but still, like, uh, all these services always say, like, oh, we don't log any data, or, like, it's deleted after 24 that like also that, as a user you have no way of knowing if they're lying or not exactly right like you have no idea to know whether they're messing with your data just like saying oh copy this package change some part of it cuz they encrypted it they can definitely decrypt it and um send off a copy of it to some other destination offsite right right yeah there's definitely issues with like um, this concept of like logging your information or not, and it it like widely varies between uh, different countries. Um, like the the European Union has very strict um, like data retention rules, and the U.S. doesn't necessarily. But the U.S. has stuff like they can request like let's say NordVPN will need to store my data if I have an account. They could say store Hayden Jones's data for 180 days. You are not allowed to delete it, and NordVPN would be required to comply. So, like, regardless of whether or not they are deleting all the data they have on you after 24 hours, if the government wants them to keep it, they will have to. Would the government be required to um, inform you that they made such a decision? Um, or no? I, well, I, I guess it depends on country to country, um, not in America. Um, also... Under certain situations, the website may not actually even be able to inform you that um, there has been like a demand from the government that they store your data. And that's why a lot of websites have um, a canary, which is just like a page that they keep updating. You know, every so often they say like, um, you know, within this month, we received X demands that we store data. Um, they're not actually telling anyone like whose data they had to store. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they're not breaking any rules, um, but they, you can still somehow, you know, kind of figure out like what's going on. Like Reddit has a canary about uh, data mm-hmm. retention and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the only one I'd seen before. Actually, I didn't know it was a common practice. Yeah, right. They they can have like um like a page or something or something that basically says no, we haven't been um you know, giving the data to the government. And then all they have to really do is take that page down. And they're not directly telling anyone by doing that, but they're, like, sort of getting around that requirement by the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That, I mean, that's a neat solution, I'll be honest. Yeah. And, uh, like, further with this logging, like, this 
maybe isn't the interesting part of logging. Like we want to know if they're logging our traffic or not, but they are certainly keeping logs on you to some extent, right? They have to store your profile. They have to store your payment data yeah. and your payment is almost certainly going to be linked to your true identity unless they're accepting Bitcoin or something like that, right? Like there are no mm -hmm. really anonymous credit cards. So your account is going to be linked to you if it's a paid service. And <laughs> often there's a limit, like uh, a lot of VPNs say like, okay, you can only have five active connections to our VPN service at once. So they have to track which of your devices are connected so they can make sure that you're not going over that limit. Um, so they're definitely tracking your devices to some extent, and maybe yeah. they get rid of those later, but it's, it's still, you are being logged in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And who knows for how long, and like as right. I mentioned before, who knows for how long to keep in all that temporary data. That's, that's very true. But right. we've been bashing at VPNs for, I don't know how long now, but what about some alternatives to them then? Like if you, let's say you don't want to pay for a VPN service. How are you going to get access without having, of course, traveling there? Let's say you want to like stream Canadian Netflix. How, how, how can you do that easily then? That's well, a perfect reason to use a VPN service. Yeah, I think, I think that that is more or less the only way to do it. I, I mean, unless like, there yeah, are actually really sure. alternatives. Like, okay. Like, I mean, are you talking about service. like a proxy? Well, Essentially, yes, but it, it's a really weird service, and I've used it, and it's called, um, I think it's called Unlocator, and what they describe themselves as is a, let me just go to their website, uh, it's like, actually, it's a, it's a smart DNS, is what they call themselves, Okay. and essentially, uh, what you do is you modify your DNS settings on your device, like your phone, your computer, your router for that matter, right? Like certain routers you can set, D the preferred DNS server. Oh, I think and I understand. What they do is, from my understanding, is they, they sort of route the traffic in such a way that you have access to other content from your location. Right. So like if like if you use like Google's DNS in America and you go to Netflix.com, the Netflix.com is going to be resolved to like an IP address for a Netflix CDN in America. But this exactly. this new DNS could resolve it to a Netflix CDN in Canada. Yes. Okay. And that I mean that's an alternative. That doesn't violate Netflix's TOS actually. Okay. It doesn't. Cuz VPNs violate Netflix's TOS. I mean, so that's to my understanding. specific to VPNs, like they explicitly mention VPNs? Or to my understanding, that is uh, their TOS or a part of their TOS, TOS. But I may be wrong or they may have updated it since I last checked it. But yeah, that's, I mean, definitely. When I used I, it, that was a part of it. Like you could use Unlocator for it and it was completely fine. I propose that we thoroughly read the terms of service right now for the next hour. Okay, Hell yeah. let's do it. I can read Perfect. it out loud. Um, Dear God. So, yeah, I mean, that unlocator idea, uh, it would work, I guess, if the website is naive, right? I mean, all they would have to do is see where this IP address is coming from. If it's coming from America and it's it, they're contacting a Canadian server, <laughs> it's a little suspicious. That's fair. Sure, but I don't think 
anyone ever is going to actually be checking like where that IP comes from. I mean, I guess that's totally possible, but that would that would I don't know me to be honest. I don't know. To show you like how crazy like like DRM can go. So, you know, on on let's say on on iPads, on Android Apple products, you have like AirPlay, so you can connect to like a Bluetooth speaker, you can connect to an Apple TV or something like that. So if you have the Xfinity TV app, you can watch TV on your iPad through your subscription. But if you connect to a Bluetooth speaker, it disables it. So you can no longer watch TV, right? If you connect it to your Apple TV, it disables it, right? They, even if it's on your same network, I mean, they, they go to a crazy extent to protect their data. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did something as simple as saying, okay, where's this IP address coming from? I mean, that makes sense. How how do they do that with the Bluetooth thing? Um, I don't know. There's probably some API to figure out if you're using AirPlay. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not an iOS developer. But <laughs> Am I using AirPlay API? I've run I'm, into the I'm issue plenty certain, of times. I'm certain it's just like a built-in function to the AirPlay API. Just is it being used? There's no way that's not just a built-in. Right. That makes sense. But like other examples of extreme um drm is like the disney plus drm on how it allows for you can oh there's a disney plus app for android there's a disney plus app for ios uh you can go to disneyplus.com or whatever the fuck it is on your web browser on mac os and windows if you do it on linux you get an unexplainable error that just literally means that yeah it doesn't it's not supported on linux specifically no matter what browser you're using right and that that cool. also happens with Xfinity. Um, even if you what? even if you spoof your user agent to say that you are on Windows, Xfinity will not stream to you. It supports all the plugins. It supports the DRM required, the video playback features. They just don't want people on Linux using Xfinity <laughs> TV. Well, can I ask a question? That maybe this is dumb because I haven't heard about this in years, so maybe it's not even a thing. But I remember back in the day. You used to have, used to like on Windows. You see, you used to need um, Microsoft Silverlight, I believe oh, it was called, yeah. to play stuff on Netflix. <laughs> Is it possible that it's just straight up a missing piece of hardware no. or software like that? No, I don't think so. That's not that's not the problem. Because yeah, you can use all kinds of other streaming websites without having that. And most websites today use HTML5 gen- like natively because it's so much better than Flash, um, Silverlight, all that kind well, of yeah, stuff. Well, yeah, and then um. Oh god, what the fuck is that protocol called? Um, what? Oh my god, I do not remember. What is it used for then? Uh, it's modern uh, video chat, essentially. Um, WebRTC. WebRTC, thank you. Dear god, I was going to have a stroke, Ben. <laughs> um, yeah, I think most of them use WebRTC now instead of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah but like... that stuff didn't exist back then, and now it's all... Yeah completely yeah. insecure and <laughs> no one wants to use it i stand by that uh security is for the week so <laughs> yeah, if you're I just confident flash games oh yeah oh man i spent so many hours as a child uh playing flash games on like mini clip and shit oh yeah mini clip <laughs> is my shit. Mini clip. Yeah. Oh, yeah club penguin boys oh man everyone's trying flash? to tip the it's iceberg <laughs> See, that's a good use for a VPN. Playing exactly. Club, Club Penguin in Russia. 
I'm, I'm sorry. I think it was blocked in Russia, I'll be honest. No, you just get you get better get better penguin items oh, in Russia. Exactly. <laughs> I can't even process the cold. Exactly. I can't even process this statement. <laughs> um, do you guys want to move on to just talking about interesting things we've seen around? Sure. Hell yeah, dude. Let's okay. hear it. Yeah, I think we've dragged VPNs out for all a VPN can go for. I right, start us off, Alec. Oh, I regret saying everything. Um, okay. Well, one thing that's pretty cool that I saw today, um, this might not be exciting. It's not necessarily computer science, but it is software. Um, Ableton Live is a very uh, well-known music production suite, uh, a digital audio workstation. And uh, Ableton Live is now doing, uh, during the coronavirus shit they're doing like 90 days the next 90 days of software use are free so like you can get their free trial for 90 days and it's fully featured which i thought was really cool awesome um, oh my god yeah i didn't know that thank you for telling me that and then i don't know if you guys have been paying much attention to hacker news um the past couple of days but yeah every day it seems like there's something about this dolt hub has anyone looked no at this? i haven't seen that no nope so dolt hub is <laughs> A version control database. <laughs> so oh, okay. it's Dolt is the true Git for data experience in an SQL database, providing version control for schema and cellwise for data, all optimized for collaboration. So their big thing that they're really trying to sell here is that they do cellwise version control, which Maybe I don't you should spell this out to people because uh, I think cell cell wise as in like if you're looking no, at no, like no 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 like the name of the service oh d o l t h u b dot com I'll link it in the show notes um, okay because but yeah there it's just it's kind of funny because everything I see on it is just you know someone going oh great we've got you know the next GitHub for data than the one that came out two weeks ago you know I mean realistically it's an incredibly oversaturated market. I don't know. I mean, it seems like everything is, you know, trying to find this niche of like developer tools is a very profitable market. There was a, uh, maybe was it tailwind? Yes. Yeah, tailwind CSS. Um, they released a package, uh, recently of UI components that I think it was like $200 for a license. And within like two days, they made like $500,000. Like oh, developer wow. tools are an insane market right now. I don't know. So I guess no it's just trying to capitalize. Uh, no, it's because no one wants to write CSS because CSS is horrible. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Um, and then I've got another thing, but why don't you guys come back to me? Because I've been ranting for too long. I was just looking at Daltub real quick. And just to throw back to the like locating IPs uh, or like connecting them with countries and whatnot. One of the... Like one of the featured data sets there is called IP to country, and it's the IP to country data set. So, I mean, it's definitely not that difficult to locate someone's IP or someone's location based on their IP to any extent. I mean, you can just curl on my server, I think, I to figure out some information on my IP because uh, I wanted to figure out my outward facing and I didn't know how to do that. I just like curled what's my IP.com or something. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> but I think that can give you that information, so I'm sure it's not hard. No, I mean it's give it's restricted by regions. Like your external IP, like it's, certain parts of it are like set. Uh, I think it's like 
Uh, I don't remember if um, IPv4 is it bytes? Like each thing is a byte, or is it like some other? Uh, aren't um, they octets? I thought it was four bytes. Wait, are you talking you... about an IP address or like each yeah, field? Yeah, IPv4 address. Like are you uh, talking each about... field, each field. I think they're octets, aren't they? Well, it's well, it's three values in the range zero to ten for each field. Zero to nine, uh, which would be four sure. bits or four bytes. Uh, they are most often written in dot decimal notation, which consists of octets. If that was what you're asking, I may have missed. Well, I mean, right. even, even so, like, four bytes. The, each of the fields uh, correspond to like some geolocating uh, or some loca some location essentially in the world, and so you have different sections. Uh, I mean, to some that. extent. Yeah, to, to some, some extent, extent it does. Course. Right, like uh, 192. Like for 192, yeah. like for 0 0.168, 0 0.0.1, like that's your generally your local router. 192 is not like a public IP no, section. Right. And same with like 10.0.0.1. 10 is not in the local, like you're not going to connect to a server whose IP address starts with 10. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. But but certain values above or in certain ranges, it corresponds to locating like oh, if it's in the U.S. or like Europe, Asia, right, like that kind of stuff. And it's more and more restricting, of course, depending on uh, how like far away you are from the like the most significant bit or whatever. Like as you progress through each field, but. Yeah, just that was just a, an interesting thing I, I noticed when I hopped aren't on there we, real quick. Uh, aren't we running out of IPv4 addresses? Like, aren't they just going to be all used up at some point? IPv4, yes, but not IPv6. Right. I remember someone, I don't remember exactly what it was, but someone made some sort of, like, screen or, like, a display with LEDs or, like, each pixel. Oh, yeah, it was each pixel, including each color value, was a separate IPv6 address to like demonstrate how many more IPv6 addresses oh there are than IPv4 address. So you could like address and change this big screen that this guy had set up using an IPv6 address for each pixel. Damn. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Like actually crazy. Oh, hey, uh, I know this isn't great podcast content, but I do want I appreciate that is in an email we just got um all classes are going to be recorded and you can watch them at any time they are not going to require you while doing online classes to watch concurrently like as it's recorded thank which God. is i think that's good, good. our internet would be unable to handle that yeah, in our house, so um actually well i guess this can tie in well um most people in the United States are moving into online classes soon um, and possibly, you know, most people throughout the world. And that's going to that's going to be like a very, very big change for both like students and professors. And the whole dynamic of learning is going to change a lot. So at some point in the future, we're planning on making a podcast about um, how our online classes are going and maybe like you know what's going what's going poorly what's going well and um like what can be done to fix it yeah so this will be sort of like a before and after gig so this is the before like how do you guys feel that all of our classes are going to be online and that 
how do you feel about the way that's going to to pan out? Okay, I guess I can start. Everyone seems a little scared. Um, <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, yeah. See, I ha I have the feeling, and I I really don't know if this is like naive, and I don't mean this in like any disrespectful way, but I feel like a lot of CS classes are going to struggle, and like a, mm -hmm. like a lot of the STEM fields are going to be very difficult transi to transition uh, online. Um, like, especially, like, I'm very concerned about my differential geometry class. Like, it was already going very poorly before we went online. And once we go online, I can't imagine it getting better. Um, so I think it's just going to be difficult for a lot of STEM fields. Um, but for, like, our ethics class, I imagine that's not going to be too difficult. It's, it's a PowerPoint, you know, the whole class is, like, PowerPoint lecture-oriented. Um, so that's fine on Zoom. He can just full screen the PowerPoint, share screen. And all he does is really talk. We're going to lose out on, like, you know, group dynamics where we where we interact in, like, small groups and talk and then tell the professor what we talked about. But it's not like we're really going to lose out on the experience of, like, what the professor is teaching us and telling us. Right. And let's not forget about the physical sciences like chemistry and physics more so chemistry and especially biology like what are you supposed to do how are you supposed to do a chemistry lab over the internet like these students who are in these fields are going to be missing out on quite a lot and right. that hands-on experience like they need that for their education and they're not going to be able to get that so i'd say we're pretty lucky so yeah. actually speaking of like the physical sciences like like chemistry um, I was talking to a friend, uh, the other week or the other day, whatever, uh, about like how it was going to affect, uh, like his girlfriend's chemistry classes, uh, or like chemistry labs. And what our university has decided to do is actually give them the results for each lab, but they still have to write the lab report out. So they have the, ex like the experimental results and they still have to derive their conclusions from the experimental results. Okay. I mean, what do y'all think about that? I, that seems like the best thing to do in this yeah, situation, but that is still not at all equivalent because for me, like, I do not get book learning for chemistry and physics. Like, I have to do the experiment myself to see, like, what the hell I'm doing. So that wouldn't work for me, but I imagine for a lot of people that does work. Yeah. Well, let's not forget about um, chemistry, possibly physics, biology students who are maybe like working on their thesis or something and they're doing research or something related to that, they cannot do the work that they need to do at all. Like they're completely prevented. Assuming that like what they're, what they're doing requires lab access. A lab. Yes. Right. Assuming what they do requires a lab and a lot of these things do because it's physical sciences. So right. they simply can't get access to the lab and do the work they need to do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I do think that, like, I think a lot of those people are potentially in situations where they can actually access a lab in terms of, like, if there's one person in a lab, that is not an issue in the current, like, situation. It's when that shit gets packed that it gets, you know, problematic. So realistically, like, if they can ration out lab time, I think it's possible, but that's still not ideal. Yeah, and that's only, like... That's only in states that aren't, you know, actually, like, enforcing a stay-at-home order. Like, our state mm -hmm. is not. Yeah. 
Um, technically, you can gather in a group larger than five right now with no like civil penalties. Um, but yeah. like in Italy, you are not to leave your house, right? And you will you will face very strong penalties. So like you know, there all the grad students are they do not have access to their labs, no matter how many people would be in it. Yeah. yeah. Don't be so U.S. centric, Alec. There's a whole <laughs> big old world out there of other people. Uh, yeah, but I I was raised my whole life in the U.S. We're like bred to believe. Yep, definitely. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, brother. Roll Tide. Ooh. Can relate. Can so relate. I, I don't know. This is uh, are we done with this topic? Because I had another idea for something to talk about. Yeah, I think we should yeah. hold off till we do the full episode on it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I was gonna talk about um, an idea that I think is pretty interesting, which is um basically internet as a as like a public utility so mm. treated more like uh telephone access or even something as simple as like like water like that's a public utility and if it was treated that way then internet service providers would be completely unable of taking advantage of their users and would basically be forced to be more fair to some extent i mean mm -hmm. that's not just because it's a public utility doesn't mean that everything becomes good, right? There are there's issues with public public utilities in our states, uh, in our state, like charging way too much. Um, I mean, the electric co-op is notorious for charging high prices for uh, electricity because they're the only one in town. Right. I mean, but but that would certainly be a step in the right direction. Um, well, but what about innovation? Don't you think that would halt with it turning to a public service? No. Not at all. The internet really? is the internet is such a critical feature of our lives at this point that there will be innovation no matter what, as long as it can continue to exist. No, no, but like innovation of infrastructure, like let's right. say building a fiber line to somewhere. Like what's driving there... that? I is, think the they're still going to be making money off of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's still going to be plenty of demand, so people are still going to be paying for internet access well, for free. I don't. <laughs> I'm not, okay, so there is really no drive for expanding infrastructure right now, right? Like, there are people in the United States that do not have access to broadband, right? But there is plenty of demand, so why would switching to a public utility fix that? Right, despite, like, the U.S. giving Comcast billions of dollars to to implement fiber and there's still not even broadband <laughs> I, access... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that making it a public utility is going to expand access more than it already is. But I'm saying that it's not going to halt expansion. I, well, I, yeah, I don't know if I agree with, like, halting expansion. I, I don't, I just don't know, like, what would happen to, to, like, innovating on infrastructure. I'm just not, like, familiar with that. I mean, everywhere else in the internet, there will certainly not be, like, a halting in innovation. Right, like things that don't have to do with like the actual infrastructure, like fiber lines and stuff like that, will not be affected. But well, I, yeah, I mean, I, there's always there's still going to be companies that have to sell those fiber lines, though. Like it's not like the ISP, you know, makes their own fiber line. There's someone who builds that shit. So realistically, someone still is. There's a supply chain still. Someone's still making money enough to need to make a better one so they can beat their competitors. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Which I think that will still be there then. That'll still yeah. happen, yeah. Certainly. And that, that driving down the price of uh, the infrastructure that is required to provide internet access will motivate providing it to more areas. Because as soon as it becomes uh, profitable to bring internet access to those areas, then it will it will be motivation enough to build that. I guess I'm so, not seeing why it being a public utility suddenly makes it like profitable to do expansion. No, no, it doesn't. I, I'm saying public utility so that internet service providers are, head, are held more accountable so mm. that the users are not getting screwed over. Right. But as we said with like the electric co-op, that's like not necessarily going to happen. Right, but here's a there's a big difference between um, internet service and water service. There are a lot of different water service companies. I guess I'm not really sure if you would call them companies, but utility companies. Yeah, um, there's a ton of them. There's really not that many internet service providers. Sure, there's a lot of local ones. Is there more than P and M in our state? Uh, I think it's just P and M. I guess that is a. I think that's that's just a. Right, that's a conglomerate, right? Uh, well, maybe that's not the right term, but they own like a bunch of individual, like, um, like stations that provide water, right? I'm not. I'm not sure, but I don't. I, I don't know how many people are providing water in our state other than P and M. I'm not but, saying P and M owns, you know, like Cochiti Lake, and they're getting water from it, but they are the people, like providing the pipes to get me water right and um and you were talking about uh uh, where was it that like water prices were very high i mean in our city electricity prices are very high yeah in socorro right Mm -hmm. right oh yeah socorro the electric co-op right are they owned by pnm uh no i want to say like no (laughs) so that's my point. Yeah. Like, well, I we're getting know. our water I from them. We, we're not getting we're our water from the electric co-op. <laughs> what? Wait, who was talking about electricity? Oh, you were. Alec. <laughs> oh, okay, I totally water. was zoned out, I'll be honest. I, I, I also just assumed you said water. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally zoned out, that's my it's bad. It's bundled all in one. You get your water, but it has a charge. <laughs> <laughs> Extra salty to carry the charge yeah. better. Ooh, oh, okay. Alright. I think we're talking out of our asses a little too much on this one. Oh yeah, likely. Yes. Yeah. Oh definitely, but like, um we're all, I I don't know, I'm pretty dumb, so like I don't know that much about anything. Like if you want that's why I said if you want to talk about OpenGL for an hour, like I can do that. <laughs> well actually I've got I've got another interesting one, I suppose. Um So there's this really uh fascinating thing I read on you guys ever heard language dart yes yeah yeah so this is more so neutral this is just happens to be a part of dart um but i found this really interesting blog post that i thought had been posted like two days ago turns out if for some reason it was just at the top of hacker news and it's from 2015 so i was totally bamboozled there but um anyways basically like it's this guy detailing the hardest program he's ever written and he worked on a formatting tool for dart so the idea uh, yeah. is, have you read this? Yes, I did see this. Yeah, so the idea is like, and Go, Go has a built-in formatter. But like, 
if you guys are familiar with the idea, basically a formatter takes in code, adds the right white spacing, you know, makes it pretty print, essentially. So stuff like goes, I believe, at least according to this article in 2015, it literally would just like tokenize the whole thing and then basically pretty print the whole thing. It would tokenize it, parse it, and then print pretty print the whole thing, right? So it's just like a front end of a compiler almost. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, well, so the, this one that this guy wrote is insane. Like he spent a year on it and basically like it like it's a really interesting read and I don't know that it's worth me detailing every part of it, but basically like he talks about all of these decisions he had to make and uh essentially like he has to determine like how to add line breaks in uh like for instance like a long uh piece of code with like a bunch of ors or something you have to figure out where to add line breaks in that right so that it's on multiple lines instead of just one line going for 5000 characters you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's a really complex problem oh certainly. and like yeah so he talks about doing that and then he talks about like he tries to take a dynamic programming approach to the problem and like oh wow and it's just, it's really fascinating because this is the first time I've really seen like something we learned about. For instance, like I have never seen someone outside of when we took algorithms um, in school, obviously. Like I've never seen someone talk about things like dynamic programming outside of it. I was fairly certain it was just some whiteboard question that people <laughs> didn't really use in practice. And so it's really cool to like see a lot of this high level stuff thrown together. Like something like this, you know, uses a lot of compilers concepts, uses a lot of algorithms, it uses a lot of like, automata and i think stuff like that's really fascinating because like those things are so separately put together i think in a lot of educational programs not specifically ours like you know automata is a building block of both algorithms and uh compilers uh, compilers yeah but you know in a lot of programs i think it's uh not so much interrelated yeah do you think uh, that's why uh, c++ is only getting formatting in c++ 2020 or uh, 20 what do you mean, <laughs> formatting like a like a code formatter? Uh, no, I'm talking about just making a joke on the like the format function that's being applied to. Oh, for strings. strings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, continue, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um. So, just this program that you're talking about, this formatter, mm-hmm. like, what is the benefit of? doing this complex process where you break down the basically the source code structure in order to format it than just doing like some like basically string operations on the existing text because i imagine that's how most code code formatters actually work well the problem i think to be totally honest with you this guy kind of took an oj approach of like the simple uh, solution will not work, so I gotta make it really complicated. Thanks. But <laughs> OJ, OJ love it to death. But you've been known to do it once or twice. Um, and I think that it's a, it it reads it it makes a really fascinating read. It's not necessary as the reality. Any tool would have worked. Making the best possible tool though gives us the best possible tool. You know, while it might not have been necessary to build, it becomes a really fascinating like, you know. Yeah, like the learning and teaching experience. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I think it has more utility than that, right? Like code formatters exist, you know, all over the place. Like LLVM is a code formatter. Python is a code formatter. It has a, a lot of different code formatters. 
right? So clearly because so many are being made, they are useful. And mm -hmm. if it really was just as simple as doing string operations, like it would probably be simple enough for a human to do it. Like you want to use a code formatter because you didn't make your code look pretty and it's going to be too hard to get it to look pretty. Hey, I didn't make my code pretty because I'm lazy, not because I can't. <laughs> I've had yeah. Okay. I don't know. Have you ever written C++? Oh, God. You, your code didn't look pretty because you can't. <laughs> yeah, I'm see, but nobody it. can. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm proud to say I've never written bad C++. Have you written You're C++? Right. No. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I told him to write like one of our recent labs, and he the refused to. Uh, the cache simulator. Exactly. Oh my god! I went back. I was I was explaining that project to someone, and for any listeners who aren't in our classes, <laughs> um, the assignment is basically like you have to write a cache simulator that takes in like a variety of different configurations, and then a trace file, and like essentially simulates hits and misses on cache. And uh, basically, I went through my code trying to explain something to someone that had asked about, like, caches, and I realized I had left in, like, a billion to-dos in, like, nightmarish comments detailing oh my, my thought process that are not at all <laughs> useful as documentation. And I genuinely think I'll lose points because I just didn't bother to go through and clear out these, like, to-dos that are already done that for some reason my oh, peanut no. brain didn't remove. <laughs> 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 I think they might actually give you more points because, like, you've shown that you know everything and that you know how to do all these things. And they know, like, they basically know your psyche now. Like, they have a window <laughs> into your soul. They know you're a good student. Exactly. They know you know how to they use the comment button. They know for sure you didn't plagiarize because no sane person would write all those comments oh after plagiarizing. That, that is a very good point, actually. <laughs> God. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> Big brain Alex strikes again. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> good God. Does anyone good else have anything really cool to share? Well... Or lame. I mean, I have this incredibly interesting, weird research paper I found um, earlier today. Okay, let's hear uh, it. It's called House Gan. Does it make Relational houses? Generative Adversarial Networks for Graph Constrained House Layout Generation. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. God. Why would a house <laughs> need to be graph constrained? Dude, you don't want it to this... fall down, bro. Come on. <laughs> what? That's why you put support beams, not make it fucking. Uh, not you want that, it to that... look good. You don't just want support beams everywhere. That's ugly. Have yeah. you seen my Minecraft builds, bro? Okay. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. So, is the house layout being represented like a room is a node and a connection yes. is a path between rooms? It's like a doorway. Yes. I'm. I'm not seeing what the utility of this is. Like, to generate new house layouts automatically. So the utility is that they could do it. They never stop to ask if they should do it. Like, there is no use case, but it's a cool <laughs> yeah, and have, ever seen, have you ever seen those um, 3D printers that like print cement? You just yes. hook one of those up to the algorithm, oh and you can print like a generative town <laughs> somewhere oh out God. in the desert. Why wouldn't... I'm sure... 
I think Perlin noise. Finally, New do Mexico it. has a use. Yes, I want a Perlin noise house, please. Extra lumpy, multiple octaves, so it's very spiky and grainy as well. But yeah, no, I just found it like, like what a title for a research paper. To be honest, like no, that is that is interesting, <laughs> and I'm I'm sure it it was like very, you know, like aesthetically rewarding to get that GAN to work. I don't know if it was, I'll be honest with you, just looking at some of the... Oh yeah? Are the house layouts <laughs> not that great? I sent the article, you can see it like real quick if you just scroll down. It's, um... Yeah, it's, um... No, I mean, they're sensible layouts sometimes, but it's, uh... It's weird that it can result in, like, oh... I don't know what this room is, it's just a room. For instance, like it has support for like unknown rooms. I mean, that kind of makes sense, though, right? Like, it, it it has no way of knowing. Like, oh my god, I just looked at the layout. <laughs> exactly. The kitchen shouldn't be surrounded by bathrooms and things like that. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully yeah. that's what it would learn. That's what the adversarial, or that's what the generator part of the GAN would learn, right? Like, there hopefully. are only ten ba bathrooms in a standard house. Um, there's only like two living rooms or whatever if you're like loaded there's a kitchen there's like a master bedroom whatever you want to call it sometimes there's a balcony depending on like how, what your house looks like but like the, the whole idea that you just like that there are things in here that are just that it, it does it itself doesn't even know what is generated Wow. I will say this is cool. Uh, I don't know. Th again, it's very much like a we did it because we could, but it is really cool. And I, I don't definitely. know. I don't know. No... Okay, so I can. I already got it. So I. I don't think. First of all, I don't think they've gone far enough. Like they're just making <laughs> oh. a layout, all right, of the house. But where's like where's like the furniture and like the uh, wall oh. decorations, right? They need everything. Interior designer Gan. Yes, that is what I'm working towards here. Have you guys ever seen a? You guys ever? Have you what? what? Seen, have you guys ever heard of the YouTuber? Did I cut out? Yes. Yep. Oh my bad. Have you guys ever heard of the YouTuber Michael Reeves? Yes. Yes, I don't think sir. So, so oh, he's awesome. He does like these weird slash like mechanical engineering like adjacent videos, and they're really but uh. He has this one where he built a Twitter bot that just crawls tweets and orders Amazon items based on what people tweet at him. Oh, nice. So he did, like, a room design by, you know, ordering whatever people tweeted at him, and that's what this could do. Like, pipe, the, pipe this GAN generation shit into that, and you can build fucking whole room uh, layouts. No, what's the word? Uh... Room decorations. There's a better word, but I can't think of what it is. Interior, Interior design. design. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I want a whole neighborhood that is done oh, this God. way. Okay, Ben has Ben has taken this too far. Ben is gonna like redesign the world as a dictator. Like, well, I mean, dude, this world's pretty full, but we do got one like not too far away. It's Mars, <laughs> and we can just you know what? We got computers. Why bother building these new Mars colonies, like by hand and designing them by hand when we can just make a robot do it, right? So we'll just make we'll just make a machine learning model generate a city, 
and then just let some machines fly up there and build it, and then we can go hang out there. We won't have to do it ourselves. All right, we're beating we're beating Musk to colonize Mars, boys. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Smooth Brain Incorporated is going to do. <laughs> Actually, interestingly enough, when you talk about like randomly generating cities, like using AI, um, there was a professor who I met uh, a while back whose whole Delio was like essentially so- what's called a software city. Have you guys ever heard of this? No. Mm-mm. No. So a software city is this idea of visualizing by generating like a city for every like component of this and then like um essentially like you're basically like visualizing like data moving between these as people walking on a sidewalk. Stuff like that, like from building to building. So it's just it's really a interesting fancy actually. Graph. It's a way yeah, it's a visualization technique. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. It just this kind of reminded me of that is why I brought no, it up. It does sound cool and it sounds very aesthetically pleasing. How does it model throughput limitations? Uh, I believe it's probably just a sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sidewalk, dude. That's what I would imagine, actually. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I unfortunately missed his presence. So lame. Yeah. Posing with that information like you knew it, and then no, you didn't. I I appreciate that, Alec. <laughs> I like that. Well, next time I won't bring up things that are interesting. You, no, uh, I actually, actually really want to. <laughs> We're going to implement yeah, software think, city for our compiler now. I think Amy <laughs> actually work has worked in them a bunch, she said. Um, I don't like it anymore. She did something with it in her master's. So, yeah. Amy has a master's? Yeah. Yes. Not now. Yeah. yeah. She, I think, has a master's in CS, if I remember correctly. Okay. I think her... Bachelor's is in biology, I want to say, but I cannot remember to say my own. Interesting. I think it was Scott, to be honest, but... No, Scott had English. Yes, he was an English major. Or did he have an English master? I think he had I, an I English think... master. I think it was minor. Mm, pretty sure it's undergrad, like undergrad English. I, I don't know. This is totally arbitrary and bad podcast content, though. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, have you guys... Um, Speaking about like visualization you're just talking about have you guys ever seen that like um uh code visualization where like it'll probably take like some source control like a git repository and um basically make this giant like uh physically based graph where like additions will add like these like little balls onto the graph and then the whole structure will like feel like it was hit or something and it keeps like moving and then like um, classes are like bigger nodes with lots of children and, and act as hubs and uh, yeah like lots of big software projects like including Optums you can you can visualize this way so it's just it's just 3D UML it's just like <laughs> <laughs> obviously I'm kidding though that sounds really cool yeah it sounds more useful than UML to be honest <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the U yeah. and UML definitely stands for useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's also been efforts to um, like, uh, basically have a big uh, like graph representation of the entire internet using some visualization oh, no. like that. Um, and obviously, it's very hard to come up with a good visualization. And uh, like, I think there was one big. It was like the Internet Mapping Project. Um, and and they did it, and they had like I think their art got into the MoMA too. So they they like made this big graph based off the internet, uh, like a big like network graph, and uh, it was in the MoMA. That's pretty cool. 
Hmm. Nice. That is really cool. That's actually... Wait, what? what? You, you said it's like MoMA or something. What? what? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Museum of Modern Art. I see. Oh. Sorry. Right. Forgot you're a foreigner. Um... <laughs> <laughs> is there not a Norwegian MoMA, bro? Uh, well, there probably is. I mean, the Monk Museum. That's modern art, you know? Whack. Um, I guess like, it would be closed right now. I don't vibe with yeah, modern art. Yeah, I, I really like it when they just, like, paint a brick. It's just, like, a solid oh, yeah, color. Dude. The only... Yeah, no, like, I million dollars. I'm gonna cop the supreme brick, so don't hate. Oh, man. <laughs> the only modern art I appreciate is the Armut urinal and, like, meta-performance art. That's all I can get behind. <laughs> what? Please explain what meta performance art is. Yes. Um. Oh gosh, I'm gonna use an example that no one knows because it was this obscure video on Vimeo. But Ben, do you remember <laughs> that video of all those women dancing in that room? I guess that that would be considered modern art. I'm not sure. I guess it would. It's definitely meta. It was so, like, yeah, just describe it. Um, okay, I, th I think it was like a feminist, like, performance art. Um, it was like a lot of women in a room wearing, like, spandex from head to toe, and then there was like this one, like, enormous woman, and I mean, like, she was very tall. She might have been on like platform <laughs> shoes or something. And they were all just like walking around the room making these horrible noises for like 20 minutes. And that's all it was. Right. And they had like labels on them that was like husband and wife. And they were just like miming out everyday activities. And they were also like making like weird screaming noises occasionally. What? That's the it. Hell? That's, this all, that's the like video. sounds like a surreal dream to be honest. It was, it was bizarre. So you're that, saying that yeah. like stuff like that? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not aesthetically pleasing to me, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, That's... even better to to actually like be there to experience that. Like, imagine if they like stuck you in the middle of that room as they danced around you and made weird noises. A dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would be uncomfortable. I would certainly be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes. Disappointing, Aiden. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's totally fair that you would, because like though that's something you you're not expected to, uh, or you're not exposed to very often, right? Unless I mean, I guess if you're an artist, you're exposed to, yeah, fairly often, right? That you go to art school and that just pretty much happens to you every day. <laughs> yeah, just sit there every day. Teacher just like. Whatever, like fucking. He's nude. Uh, yeah. Everyone's you know? painting him. Well, I mean, could be worse. Gallon somehow. Yep. <laughs> okay, maybe we should get back on topic and close maybe. this up soon. Um, yeah, I can. Soon. I can say something short and interesting because I don't know much about it. Maybe it won't be interesting to anyone other than me. Uh, but <laughs> recently, Deep Mind. Um, so in 2012, DeepMind released 
like the Atari or the arcade learning environment, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is just like 57 Atari games um, that you you know train models on to try to learn to play Atari. And they like with DQNs, DeepQ networks, they had like these huge advancements where they got really good at games like Breakout and stuff like that. Um, but they weren't consistently like beating humans. And one agent wasn't actually able to play all 57 games. Um, but a couple days ago, March 31st, they published a paper about something called Agent 57. I don't really know how it works, um, but it is apparently beating humans on 57 Atari games. So every game in the arcade learning environment, it is beating humans on. Um, and it's a single model. thought that was really, really cool. That's Whoa. crazy. What made this model special that he was able to do that? Um, I'm not really sure. I haven't been able to read the paper yet. Um, so I what? just Google it real quick. And it there's a like a short sentence here about what's different about it, I guess. So it says, like, Agent 57 combines an algorithm for efficient exploration with a meta-controller that adapts the exploration and long versus short-term behavior of the agent. Uh, does someone want to tell me what a meta-controller is? I, I am, that went over my head. I imagine, yes. so the exploration is like, um, like the bandit problem. So like a bandit oh, okay. problem is like, if you're in front of five slot machines and your your goal you're at the casino is to win as much money as possible so you start pulling on a slot machine and the more you pull it the better idea you get of the reward you're going to get from the slot machine so maybe the slot machine's hitting a lot um but you don't know what the other four slot machines are doing um so you could go pull their levers and see like what rewards you're going to get out of them but at the same time you don't want to leave your slot machine because you know that this slot machine is giving you like a lot of money um, so you could just keep pulling it. So it's this tension between like, okay, I know this is doing well, but I also want to go explore other possibilities. So that's like what exploration is in in machine learning, that kind of idea. And I imagine the meta controller is controlling what the agent is doing and it's a desire to explore, although I'm not really sure. Uh, it, there's a little section here about it, but... It, it... It is sort of lengthy, um, but it, yeah, so it, like it adapts to the bandit problem, like exploration, exploration, through trade-offs, uh, while also considering something they call the time horizon. So I guess that's like how long you spent at uh, the hypothetical, like one-armed bandit mm-hmm. or hypothetical slot machine based on the benefit of staying there. Okay. Uh, so, um, their sentence, like, we introduced the notion of a meta-controller that adapts the exploration-exploitation trade-off, yeah. as well as a time horizon that can be adjusted for games requiring longer temporal credit assignment. So, <laughs> certain games, right, they have certain, um, I guess, like, uh, certain factors in them require longer time uh, them to pay off compared to right. other factors that are, like, a short time burst. And that's essentially what Agent 57 is learning to optimize against while also doing all these uh, bandit task exploration things. Right. Like, Breakout has a pretty short horizon. Like, you, you do an action... 
and you know your response like pretty quickly. It pays off pretty quickly because you're just hitting a ball against a brick. But mm-hmm. I think it's Montezuma's Revenge, where like early on there's an item that you have to get or something, and like without it you can't beat the game or something like that. So mm-hmm. that would be like a, a long time horizon that you would need to use for this exploration. Well, it's actually very impressive that it was able to beat that game because that that's like a drastic difference, right? Most yeah. people One can't even beat it. Like, yeah, most people can't even beat it. And that's crazy. Right. One decision will basically say whether or not you get big reward. Right. right. And I'm not so, exactly yeah. sure if that's how it works, but that's that's what I remember Montezuma's Revenge being. Right. Mm-hmm. Even Even if it's a little bit less drastic than that, it's still, like, you have to imagine the amount of explanation that needs to happen for that sequence of actions. Like, imagine it playing, a, like, Zelda or something. Like, right. That's a lot more complicated than Breakout. And mm-hmm. that requires a lot of specific actions and going to specific places. So yeah. in order to do well, like, you need to do a lot of exploration. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the whole thing about machine learning, right? Like, do a lot of exploration by training multiple models at the same time. Depen- of course, depending on your architecture, right? Because if you're doing some sort of uh, genetic learning stuff, you, you would have concurrent runs. Whereas for like DQNs, you would probably run it more with one model and see how it adapts as the weights change, um, like throughout each run. But so it's sort of like trying to run or manage these concurrent with uh, these concurrent runs with uh, uh, episodic runs, I guess you could call them. Yeah. It's really I, uh, crazy. I'd What's like to read you guys a comment from a TechCrunch article on. Um, in uh, about every other word or ev- every couple of words is capitalized. So okay, keep great. that in mind. Well, the humans can give it a brain, greater mental faculty facility than average people, average people players, but will always be incapable of giving AI a mind exclamation exclamation. You see, yes, indeed, mind is of the soul. So oh, no. <laughs> we will never truly give this a soul, which is true, you know. Checkmate, computer yeah, scientists. AI oh, is all our gingers. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> exactly. I hate all right. <laughs> I have to go, fortunately. Right. Okay, so let's uh, close out here then. Okay. Um, cool. I hope you guys enjoyed our episode. Um, we wandered quite a bit, and I imagine... Um, as we continue practicing, we'll get a little better, and maybe our our format and our layout will get better. Um, but yeah, once again, I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Um, I am the unofficial host, Hayden Jones. Someone else mm-hmm. say their name. <laughs> I'm OJ. <laughs> uh, I am Alec. I think. Ben. <laughs> ben I think he I... left. Oh. Wait, oh, I I need a silence. <laughs> I'm Ben. Cool. (laughs) All right. Um, So uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.